Thank you very much. So this morning I'm going to be talking about Nepal. So let's start how the Nepalis would start their meeting. And they would start it like this. They would say, Jai Masi. So could you do that as well, please? Jai Masi. Jai Masi means victory to the Messiah. Kinabani parmeswale sansalai esto prem garnubayo ki uhale afna met ek matra putra dinubayo taki uhamati biswas garni koi pani nasnahos tara tesli ananta jiban paos. That's just so that you could hear some Nepali, and I'll explain what that means later on. First of all, a few facts about Nepal. Sometimes when I tell people I'm going to Nepal or I've been to Nepal, they don't know where it is. So I say to them, uh, Mount Everest is in Nepal, and that kind of helps. Nepal, in fact, is uh, situated in Southeast Asia, and it's sandwiched between the superpowers China in the north and India in the south. There are 14 mountain peaks over 8,000 meters high in the whole world, and eight of them are in Nepal. So that produces quite a bit of revenue for the nation through tourism, trekking, mountaineering, all those things are very popular. In the lower land in the south, alongside the border of India, the landscape is very different. It's got wetlands, grasses, woodland, we'll have a dry winter and a, and a hot and wet summer. Kathmandu, the capital city, is situated between the north and the south of the country. Is in, it's in a valley surrounded by hills, except we would call those hills mountains because some of them are twice as high as any of the mountains that we have in the UK. Out of a population of 30, about 30, 31 million people, one and a half million people live in the capital city of Kathmandu. Now, because Nepal is a very poor country compared to many, uh, you get a lot of people who will leave the country to go and work, particularly young people, men and women, young men and young women. So about three and a half million of them will be in foreign countries, Southeast Asia, other countries there, and getting employment and sending money abroad to their families, sending money to their families. Now, in recent history, in fact, since I've been going there as well, there was a king and a parliament but there was a, a Maoist insurrection. And uh, to cut a long story short, the king was deposed, the monarchy was abolished, and Nepal was declared a federal democratic republic. Now, during that insurrection, uh, when I was going there, we would see soldiers and sometimes tanks on the streets of Kathmandu. There would be strikes, roads would be blocked in the city, and if you wanted to go anywhere, it it's a little bit dodgy and you have to try and find alternative routes to get to where you wanted to go. In fact, uh, on one, in one occasion, not in the city, but out in the, out in the uh, high Himalayas, we were robbed by Maoists, armed Maoists. They came to our camp and demanding money. And uh, they kindly gave us a receipt, I have to say, as well. Uh, <laughs> In Nepal, it's over 80% Hindu. It's about 8 and a bit percent Buddhist, 5% Muslim, and under 2% Christian. So that's something of the background of, of Nepal, very briefly. What about the beginning of my involvement? For those of you who don't know, I was an elder here at King's, and I worked full-time at King's. I used to have an office up there, 
And uh, I was involved mainly in preaching and teaching and got involved in Nepal, which I'll explain as I go along. At that time, King's mission abroad was very limited. Uh, and I, there was an American guy who used to come. He was a missionary. I think he was involved in YWAM. I'm not sure. But he, he used to come and he used to bang on about unreached peoples and, and the ends of the earth. And I can remember thinking at that time, what's that got to do with me? I, I would sit there thinking, he might as well have been talking about the dark side of the moon for all I was able to grasp at that time. However, the Lord had other ideas in mind. And in the early days of the King's Center, this building, we used to have a church member. In fact, there were a couple, Steve and Kathy Bartram, many of you will know them. They used to come here to King's, and Steve used to come up to the office there, and he would help us with our computer system, sorting out all the bugs and all that kind of stuff in the early days. And one of the things he used to do is, well, one day he brought this big fat photo album and he was showing us the photos in it. And I was looking at it, he was talking to me about it. And it was of him and his wife and the family up in a remote high Himalayan part of Nepal. And I can remember seeing one of the photos, I remember it, and it was one of his sons who had a snow leopard cub in his arms. So they lived in a place where the snow leopard lives. And uh, it was very primitive. That was another thing that struck me, very basic there. Houses were made from the local stones that you could just pick up, sealed with mud. People would uh, have their little fires and they would use yak dung, which they would collect and dry and stick to the wall of their house. And then they would burn it. It was above the, the tree line, so it was a cold environment as well. And that's where they had lived for some time. And Kathy was a linguist. And Steve was involved in uh, developmental projects up there. And then one day, they asked me if I would go and meet this couple in their home who were doing a short presentation. The husband was Nepali, and the wife was a Bhutanese refugee. I think I was the only person who was invited. I can't remember, but I was the only person there, I seem to remember. And they did this short presentation, and I watched with some interest. And then later on, they, they said to me, would I like to go to this remote region in Nepal with them and with a young Nepali church planting team? And so I thought, well, I'll ask the elders to see what they think. So I went to the elders and I asked them what they thought. And they said, yeah, for some reason they did. They said, yes, you can go. And then I also had to ask my wife and got her permission to see if she was happy for me to go. And so I... I got permission to go, so off I went. And um, it was a massive culture shock, I have to say. I had no idea what to expect. Maybe I was very naive, I don't know. It was pre-internet, really, pre-WhatsApp, pre-Facebook, all, pre-all that stuff which has happened in, in our lifetime since then. So um, I had nothing, I didn't know what to expect. Anyway, so arrived in Kathmandu, got in the taxi, and it was, whoa, whoa. Oh, it was just a little bit, the traffic was like, uh, by our standards, pretty chaotic. So that was my introduction to uh, Kathmandu, the beginning of it. And then Steve said to me, do you want to come and see some of the sites of the city? So I said, yes, I will. Went out with him. We went to this big Buddhist stupa. And then he said, would you like some refreshment? I said, yes, that would be nice. He said, oh, they do this lovely drink called lassi. I never heard of that. You probably, it's probably become popular now, some kind of yogurty drink, lassi. Anyway, so I had this lassi 
Unfortunately, it had some unfortunate effects on me later on that night. And we were staying with this uh, missionary family and it was really embarrassing because I was up and down, up and down all night and their toilet wouldn't flush properly so I'm trying to be quiet and I won't say anymore, I'll leave it to your imagination. And uh, at about five o'clock in the morning, I thought, well, settle down a little bit. Maybe I can get some sleep now. And just as I was about to drop off, would you believe it, this Oompa band started up outside, blowing their horns and tubers and all sorts of things really loud. And that was the end of my attempt to get to sleep. And I thought, what on earth's going on? And uh, I didn't realize that as part of their, their wedding processions, they have a band that precedes the wedding. So this was at five. Anyway, then we had to catch a bus to the border of India. And I thought, well, maybe I can have a little sleep, a little kip on the bus. So I got on the bus and I lay down in the back seat. But within five minutes, the bus was rammed full of people with massive bags of rice and chickens and all sorts of things. So 13 hours later, we arrived at the Indian border to a place called Nepal Ganj. Now it is like it sounds. And we stayed in a guest house that had ensuite cockroaches and, and an army of ants that marched up and down the windowsill. Well, so that was my second night in Nepal. And then we had to get up very early at the crack of dawn, literally at the crack of dawn, in order to catch a mountain flight. And the reason for that is because it's weather dependent. Because they're flying through the mountains and landing on a dirt airstrip, they have to be able to see where they're going, and that's helpful, isn't it, as you're flying through the mountains. So, so we had to queue up, and there was a massive queue to get into the airfield, and then the airfield building was like chaos. It was mobbed with people. It was chaos. You're trying to get on the flight. You don't know what you're doing. You don't understand the language. You, fortunately, Amos, who I've since got to know, it was the first time I get, got to meet him, Amos was in charge of the expedition and he got us on that mountain flight and we flew in up into the high Himalayas onto this desert airstrip and then we had to uh, we had to get to the destination which was five days trek up the mountain and that was interesting as well you couldn't wash basically because I thought well you can just go down to the river surely and wash in the river not realizing actually that the river a is snowmelt so it's going to be freezing. And B, it's dangerous because it's flowing so fast and there's all these rocks around so there was no chance of going down to the river to have a wash. So for five days, there was no washing. So when we arrived up at our destination and it was very primitive, plowing with yaks, it was very peaceful, I have to say, and it was cold. There was snow around us. And Amos had brought with him this solar shower. And it was a black plastic bag with a tap on it. So I put water in it and I lay it there because it was sunny. It was cold, but it was sunny. I put it in the sun thinking, oh, that's going to be great. I'll have a solar shower after five days. Wonderful. So what I did was I hid behind a wall, took all my clothes off, got the solar shower. You had to hold it above your head and turned the tap on. It was freezing cold. <laughs> but it was better than nothing. So that was kind of, if you, that was my introduction to Nepal. Also in Kathmandu, I got to know a lady called Maya Didi. Didi, by the way, means older sister in Nepali. She runs one of the children's homes that we have been involved with. Got to know her and her sons and her extended family. 
I have to say at this point that I kind of stumbled into mission. There was no strategy other than go and have a look. Little did I know that since then over 50 people have gone from Kings to Nepal. They've gone prayer trekking. They've done practical work. They've painted. They've decorated homes. They've done carpentry, visited schools. They've done handicrafts. They've led Sunday school. They've shared testimony. They've preached. They've prayed for people in their homes. They've done some evangelism. They've seen the sights of Kathmandu. And they've generally had an amazing time. Little did I know that Joy and I would go and live out there for a season. Little did I know at that time that Nepali people would come and live and stay in our house. Little did I know that a children's home would be built in Kathmandu for children from the area that I trekked to. Little did I know that I would take a youth team out there. Little did I know that I would learn to speak and read Nepali. Little did I know that the Lord would give me the best Nepali teacher in the whole world to teach me. Little did I know that as a church, we would buy a piece of land and give it to the church out there. Little did I know that I would make many friends out there. Little did I know that my heart would be captured. And 20 years later, it still is. The Lord has ways of involving us in his great plan as a church and as members of his body. And we heard Daniel's testimony. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that scripture. We are God's handiwork for a start. I feel so passionate about this. I really do. I've heard people say their parents told them, you were an accident. That's cringe factor 100 as far as I'm concerned because you're not here by accident. You're here by divine purpose. You're here by divine mandate. And God has a purpose for your life that he planned from before the foundation of the world. And God has put within each one of us huge potential. And when we walk with Jesus, it means this, that the potential that God has put within us will begin to be revealed. I've seen it happen in individuals in this church. As I've seen it in my own family. As they have chosen to walk with Jesus, the potential that is within them has begun to be revealed and unfolded. And it's a thrilling thing to see. Not much wonder the psalmist said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has created us, among other things, to do good works. I think my involvement in Nepal is certainly one of the good works that the Lord prepared in advance for me to do. It's not the only one. I taught in primary schools for 20 years before I worked for the church. That was one of the good works that the Lord had prepared in advance for me to do. Joy and I raised a family of two sons and a daughter. Now it's helping out with grandchildren. Oh, and the dog sometimes. Part of the good works that, the God, that God has called us to do. It may not always be easy, but it will be a fit for what God has called you to do. God plans and God gives us gifts and talents. We know that because Jesus said that. And God wants to reveal them. And part of that is he's planned things in advance for us to do. And it may be to do with the nations, as it is in my case. 
As we've been doing this topic on the nations on Sunday, I wonder if there's been a stirring in your heart. I wonder if the Lord wants to extend your boundaries. But you can also be involved in the nations without even leaving your armchair. I have to say how very encouraged I've been by the response of King's Church High Wycombe to the need in King's Church Kathmandu. You've been fantastic. Well done. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the way that you have supported financially. If you've been giving financially to the work at King's and you have been helping support the work that King's Church Kathmandu is doing out in Nepal, thank you for doing that. Thank you for rising up to the offering that we had, the couple of offerings that we had to buy land for the church out there. You have been involved. Even if you've never left your armchair, you have been involved in the work that's going out there in a distant part of the world. Thank you for doing that. The financial support that we give to the church also helps Jackie and Wes out in South Sudan. You've been involved. If you're giving financially, then you have been involved. And Dan and Monica out in the Middle East, the work that they are doing, if you've been giving financially or praying, you've been involved in the work that's going on there. I want to thank you. I want to thank those who I don't know about who support others in other nations, and I'm sure many of you do that. Thank you for doing that. I want to thank you if you've been raising money for small projects that are going on in Kathmandu. Many of you might not even know it's happening. It's going on anonymously. It's going on behind the scenes. But I see, I find out, I know. How much more does the one who made the eye see? How much more does he know? So you can be involved in the nations without leaving your armchair. The nations are also in High Wycombe, of course. There's another way in which we can be involved in the nations, and we're running a... uh, language course for people whose uh, primary language is not English, involved in the nations, even without leaving High Wycombe. It's amazing, isn't it? We can be involved in the nations through prayer, through praying for King Shosh Kathmandu, for example, for praying those who are out in mission, for praying for Marvin as he goes off to the States. We can be involved in the nations through doing that course, Momentum Yes, that Richard was talking about. He showed us a short video. So there's different ways in which we can be involved in the nations without leaving our own home. And now I want to thank a few people for their involvement. First of all, I want to thank my wife, Joy. And I want to thank her. (laughs) I found it very difficult to say this in the first meeting. I was hoping it would be better in the second. I want to thank you for the sacrifices you've made as you've waved goodbye to me at the airport and you've then had to deal with all the crises that have happened back home while I've been away. Thank you. I want to thank you as well for the love that you've shown the folk of Nepal and how you have welcomed them into our house. Thank you. I want to thank Ian and Susan Bickerstaff. They're not here. Maybe they're watching online. Ian and Susan, I want to thank you if you are. Thank you for your commitment, your love for the people of Nepal. And it all started with Ian going a trek. Thank you so much. And uh, I guess your heart is also captured. I want to thank Neil Bartlett. Again, Neil's not here today, but if you're watching online, Neil, I want to thank you. Neil used to lead the church here, for those who don't know. He's been a partner in helping get King's Church Kathmandu established. And we've shared many adventures out there together and memories that I'll never forget, I have to say. And I want to thank John as well, John Harbour. John's not here. He's uh, taking his daughter to university. John, I want to thank you as well. John, you're leading King's here and... uh, You know, when we first went to uh, Kathmandu, John had never been before. And uh, 
got on the taxi. He was sitting in the front of the taxi at the airport and the traffic, there's chaos. You have to see it to believe it. And he was going, whoa, oh, oh. He was a bit hesitant about it all. And I stepped back during that visit because I thought, no, John has to, he has to capture something for himself and not be influenced by me. And, uh, and John is carrying the torch forwards. And uh, thank you, John, for doing that. I want to thank the elders as well here at King's for having the vision beyond High Wycombe. Yes, our vision is High Wycombe. We want to see High Wycombe surrounded and saturated with the love of God. But the elders have also seen it as a bigger picture too. The Holy Spirit is at work. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is here, Wickham, surrounding area for us, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. King started with a few people in a lounge in Hazelmere, never dreaming of how things would develop and that people from this church would go to the ends of the earth to help take the gospel to those who have never heard. Well, what do I feel we have contributed to the work in Nepal? Well, we've helped King's Church Kathmandu get established on a good foundation. Neil and I spent a lot of time with them, talking things through, sharing some of our experiences, the mistakes that we'd made and the good things that had happened. We supported them in their mission to unreached peoples. We've given them financially, but more importantly, friendship. Neil and I would always say, we never want this relationship to be based on money, but to be based on the love of God as brothers and sisters in Christ. We've bought land so they can have their own church building. Uh, if you want to see the very latest, go onto Facebook and look up King's Church Kathmandu. Uh, if you don't know anybody's on Facebook, then come and ask me and I can show you after the meeting if you like. Uh, we've blessed those who are raising disadvantaged children as well. But it's not just about us giving to the work of Nepal. We've been enriched by their love and friendship, by seeing their dedication to the gospel, despite the difficult life situations they face. They've welcomed us, their hospitality is second to none, their smile, their laughter, their tears and disappointments as well, their openness to pray. When you go into someone's house, a believer's house in Kathmandu in Nepal, and you say to them, is there anything that I can pray for? Five minutes later, you've heard a whole list. If you go into a house in High Wycombe to a Christian and say, is there anything I can pray for? Or you're in a small group and you say, is there anything I can pray for? I mean, the number of times I've been into it anyway, that's just a difference, that's all I'm saying. But anyway, they're open. As a church, our involvement in Nepal has contributed to giving us a bigger picture. I love the fact that we are simply ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. I started with this. Kinabani pamiswale sansala yesto prem garnu bayo ki uhale afna ekmatra putra dinu bayo ta ki uhamati biswas garne koi pani nas nahos tara tesle ananta jivan paos. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Our desire for those both near and far is that they will know that truth and meet the one who said it. What part might you play in fulfilling that desire?